0: 太好了
1: I'm just going to ask that we pray one more time before I get into the sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, go before me. Allow my words to be your words, Lord. Speak to us today, Lord. Impart to us and truly convict us of your presence here, that we would grow in you, Lord, that we would come to understand you more, that you would be all the more real to each and every one of us as we talk about praise and worship. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to praise and worship you. We thank you that we can have clarity in regards to our relationship with you. Lord, thank you again for the privilege. Allow our time to be edifying to us and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've titled today's message a series on worship. And before I get into that message, I actually wanted to take us to a couple verses. And if you look on the back of your bulletin, I have supplied some notes for you. We've been talking about the words yada and shakaw, which are the two words for praise and worship in Hebrew. Yada, again, as I mentioned earlier, means to throw or to point to Again, your praise is pointing to Jesus, is throwing out your reward back. I'll explain that here in a moment. And then your worship, shakaw, is the word actually denotes laying prostrate or crouching. Because again, you know, when God in all of his majesty appears, what would be your natural reaction? To fall prostrate or to crouch in fear of such a mighty and magnificent God. The verses I want to take a look at are on the back of your bulletin this morning. The first one is going to be Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7. These are just going to kind of highlight some of the details I'm going to mention during the message. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 7. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And most of you know me, but I usually don't take Bible verses and just start throwing them in the sermon. Um, however, this morning you're going to see that these verses, while they're, again, Proverbs written by Solomon at a completely different time than Jeremiah's prophecy and totally a different time than the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. However, you'll, hopefully you'll see this morning that those verses can be used for our edification if we allow them to not only be in their original context, but we... We use them to better understand our worship of God. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 says, in the Apostle Paul, this is him talking about instructions for the church. He says, sorry, I lost my place there. Verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So, so far we've highlighted three verses. Uh, One verse showed that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The next one showed how silly it wouldn't be to fear God because, again, he's the most magnificent out of any kingdom. And then this verse shows that when we gather together, our job obviously is to praise him, yes, but it is also to do something, each and every one of us, to do something for the edification of the body. That this isn't Pastor Mike talking and everybody idly just sitting side by side. This is us being in the presence of God. This is our moment to grow in the grace and knowledge of God Prayerfully when we enter into this building to play a part in the edification of each and every one of us, whether it be by fellowship, by an exhortation, prayers, praises, and the like. So I want to start off with saying that I appreciate those of you that shared your thoughts in regards to worship service last week. I, I truly did appreciate reading through much of the thoughts. I pray that I've made it clear and that I have and that I have convinced you, as well as gained your commitment regarding Our seeing this worship service, when we gather here on the first day of the week, as a microcosm of the grander purpose of God, the bigger picture. Praise and worship. That's the whole picture right there. Praise and worship is the big picture. For us to know God, to throw the reward back to him, to be completely convicted of what he has given us, and to point back to him, and then to be in awe, which is worship, to be in complete awe of all that he has done. That is the purpose of everything. That's the grand purpose of God. What we do here as a worship service, you know, we call it a worship service, is just a smaller picture of what we should be doing through our lives each and every day that we leave this place, when we go into the true mission out there. I have detailed praise and worship, yada and shakaw, as terms highlighting the physical acts of throwing, pointing, falling, crouching, and laying prostrate. We are called to throw our crowns at his feet, again, as I mentioned, the saints in Revelation do, a picture of our role in receiving the crown, right, with the crown is, what? Salvation. That's that's the picture. The crown is our reward, salvation that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And then what we're supposed to do with that reward, that crown, is throw it back at his feet. In other words, use our lives for his service. You see, he's given me this blessing of having an eternally fulfilling life, fulfilling and satisfying. Those of you that know I, I often use, for eternal life, I like to say, eternally fulfilling and satisfying life. Because far too many people believe eternal life happens when we die. And that's not true. Jesus Christ is here today, My eternal life began when I began to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So it's not something I'm waiting for when I die. I'm living an eternally fulfilling and satisfying life right now, knowing God, growing in God, or as Peter exhorts us, to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So that's how we throw our praise back to God, is by living our lives as a sacrifice to him. We are called to point to him with our lives, allowing him to be seen through us. As I understand it, the best expression of that is the Hindi word namaste, which means I see your creator God in and through you. When I look into your eyes, I see your God through you. Falling, crouching, and laying prostrate are pictures of worship. Again, fearing him, the beginning of knowledge, revering him as the king of the nations, which we read in Jeremiah, and being in awe of all that he has done and that he is doing, and loving him simply for who he is and his love for us, because he loved us while we were yet sinners. That is... The worship that the Father desires. Worship in spirit and in truth. A passionate, submissive posture in life regarding the will of God. That's what worship is. A passionate, again, I want you to catch that this morning because we talked about last week, in spirit and in truth. What we're saying when we say worship God in spirit and in truth is we're saying a passionate worship, right? something that consumes your entire being as we sung about this morning with our our whole soul, right? Your entire being is to worship God and then to submit. You should have a submissive posture that when people look at our lives, it shouldn't be about what Mike Miano wants for his life or what I believe so-and-so wants for my life. It should be what God wants for my life. What is the will of God in my life, and am I walking worthy of that? That's how we praise God. That's our literally our pointing to him, our worship of him, is all seen in how we submit to the will of God. The word epitome, I would say that worship is the epitome of the Christian life. The epitome. The word epitome, again, means a summary. I know Vicki mentioned this morning that she likes summary. So we like worship. Because, again, this uh, summarized, our whole life is worship. It's everything. I have to say I love the fact, and I often praise God regarding it, that we are not a church that believes that worship is necessarily the Sunday morning experience. That we know it's far, far more than that. We know that worship is demonstrated through our lives, how we live that eternally fulfilling and satisfying life, and that we praise him with fruitful lips, right? Lips that are actually fruitful, that are doing things, that are living out the will of God, and then we can turn back and say, I thank you for all that I have the privilege to participate in, all that you're doing through me. Our worship service is exactly that it's a service station, it's a place where we come to get refueled, the place where we get, come to get fired up, if you may. And that's the Pentecostals. Usually we leave that to the Pentecostal churches. But we could get fired up too. We're allowed to be fired up. So. We know that true worship is demonstrated through, the, through our lives. We know that our worship is, again, a time, this worship service here is a time of refueling, a time of being, reminding ourselves that we are called to be a missional people. John Piper, again, a very famed preacher, you're going to hear me say a couple things about him this morning. One thing he really challenged me with this week, and I thought it was beautiful, is he says, far too often Christians think the mission is the purpose. The mission is not the purpose. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the purpose. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to worship him. He doesn't want us to be so consumed with the mission. He, the mission is to serve him and to worship him, to simply be so in awe of him that it will compel you to do something. That's, that's our worship. So we come here, and we another way I summarize the church is it's an outpost of the kingdom of God. This is simply an outpost. We're just a, a mile marker on the road of the bigger, broader expression of the kingdom of God. So, I want to remind you about something. If, if that's what we're going to say, if we're going to say this is an outpost, that this is a service station, I want to challenge you to do one of one or all three things this morning of these three things I'm going to mention. You should be doing at least one of these in regards to being here this morning. You should be here to learn about and or more about the awesome will of God and the knowledge of Him. That should be at least one of your, your goals here. You should be refueled regarding the mission of spreading the knowledge of God. And if that's what you're doing out there, you should be coming in here to say... What more do I need to know to be able to give reasons for the hope that I have, that I am commanded by Scripture to participate in? And then to understand your role in the kingdom. Maybe you come here and you say, I don't really know my role in the kingdom. I, I want to be challenged in that regard. I know that God will walk worthy of convincing each and every one of us of our different parts. Because, again, we're, we're all different. We all have a different role in the kingdom. We all have different areas that we might be, God might be working with us. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. How is God dealing with you? What is he dealing with you on? You know, far too often pastors will get in the pulpit and they have this broad message for everybody. I I thank God that he's working within all your hearts and minds because we do believe God's present here this morning, right? If we believe that, then God's telling you something this morning. I'm talking, yes, that's great, but God needs to be telling you something this morning. If you've been here, you know we've talked about the reason why we open our worship service the way we do. Opening prayer. Focuses us on his presence in this place. Leaves us open to hear from him. You know, because it's a noisy world out there, right? It's very noisy. So when we come in here and we open in prayer, we remind ourselves. I'm going to focus my mind on him. I want to hear something from God today. I don't want to think about my week. I don't want to think about all the junk that happened all throughout my week. I want to know God and I want to know his will in my life. And am I walking worthy of that? That's what I do every, Monday, every first day of the week. I said Monday. Every first day of the week, Sunday, when I come into this place. See, I, even the culture has me confused. So um, you know, so we come into this place, and this, again, is the beginning of our week. So we open in prayer. We say we're going to get in prayer. We're going to set our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, and we're going to allow that to be sufficient for us this morning, that we're going to allow him to speak to us, to worship him and to praise him. We do these praise choruses, right? We start with a song. Many people think the song is just, well, they're Christians. They like to sing, right? They do this thing. You show up to church, and everybody's singing. Well, no. What that is is it's a time for us to get out of ourselves. I naturally, most of you know my life. I don't naturally just sing. I'm not even the guy that sings in cars so um, or in the shower or all the other places I guess you're supposed to sing. I don't sing. So if, you know, if that's not my natural reaction... to to sing these songs, what I'm doing is I'm putting myself in a position to do something that is not normally what I would do. I'm doing that on the first day of the week. See, because isn't that the problem? That we're all too ready to do the things we want to do or the things that we would normally do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, open up our worship service, set our mind right, and then I'm going to sing because I know that's not something I would normally do. And most of my battles are me trying to fight the things I would normally do versus what God wants me to do or what he doesn't want me to do in that regard. So that's why we open up with those things. On the first of the week, we gather to learn more about the knowledge of God. That's why I or others are usually standing up here prayerfully challenging you in regards to the word of God and hopefully highlighting something that maybe God's dealing with you. And, you know, it's a challenge to come up here sometimes because I wonder, there's so many people with God dealing with so many people in so many different ways. Then I say, well, I'll study to show myself approved, get up there, I'll teach you the truth and pray that God knows what he's doing with each and every one of us. And I truly believe that, I truly know that. That God really does know what He's doing. He truly is sovereign. So I've been challenging us to maximize our time together, right? To use this this time here on the first day of the week to really, you know, see what God wants to do with us and in and through us. Ultimately, the beating, that is the beating heart behind this sermon series, which we've been calling yada 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 shaka, right? Again, the beating heart behind it is for us to use this time wisely. I love history, so learning the historic details. Behind some of the hymns that we have in that hymn, though, has been very encouraging to me. It gives me the desire to hear them sing. You see, that's where my desire comes from. Not so much the song is beautiful, and yes, many times the song is beautiful. But for me, it comes from the story behind those songs. And I just want to hear the song because I know the story behind that song. Many times Sister Meredith blesses us, utilizing the gift that she feels God has given her. That's our job. Our job is to know what God is gifting me with and how can I use that to edify the body of Christ. Our role as stewards of his gift is to use them for his glory, prayerfully edifying some even if it's just one person. That's the role of our gifts, that we get to bless people even if nobody else received anything except for one person said, God spoke to me through that. That song touched me today. And that's it. That's us walking worthy of our call. In his first writing to the Church of Corinth, as I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul highlights that when the people of God come together, each of them is to have a role in this service. Now, again, I I know not everybody came up and sang a song or gave an exhortation, but you had your morning here so far. We had a time of fellowship, which I'm actually looking to extend as we move into the new year, because, again, that's where a a lot of your gifting is going to take place in our time of fellowship, where you're talking to each other, encouraging each other, hopefully hearing each other out, praying for certain needs, so I think that maybe our fellowship time needs to be extended because there we can maximize on everybody using their gift. Because that's what this is about. We really need to maximize on this experience we have on the first day of the week. Again, a tradition that goes all the way back to the first century. This is a great reality for the body of Christ. So, I have so much to say. Um, <laughs> The beating heart behind this series, again, has been for me to really just challenge us in regards to praise and worship. So the Apostle Paul writes, he exhorts them to uh, walk worthy of every person using their gift to benefit the, the body of Christ. We need to take that serious when we gather together, that each and every one of us have to come with something to bless each other. And again, you know, we don't have to call it a song or anything. It could be you might have a word of wisdom for somebody. Because I'll tell you what, I know I'm I'm the pastor, I preach from the pulpit. There's so many, and we talked about this on Thanksgiving, there's so many words of wisdom in this room that I've been blessed by in just simple conversation. And I know a lot of times when we don't work as the body in the full effect that we should, there's many people in here that I believe each and every one of you haven't talked to. And in a full conversation where you could truly bless that person. Actually, I want to challenge you with that this morning. It's not on my notes. But I want to challenge you as a congregation, begin to think, and you don't have to start looking around now. I know that could get awkward, but begin to think about who are the people in this, this congregation that you haven't really used your gift to bless them. Think about maybe, you know, again, I, I know each and every one of you, so I know what your strengths are and, you, you know, the areas where you've blessed me. But, you know, think about when you, you look around our church, think, have I talked to that person? Have I blessed that person with what I bring to the table as a member of the body of Christ? Have you done that? Look when, you, know, you don't have to look around now, but again, just do that when you, when you have time. Begin to look around the church and maybe ask God where he wants to challenge you to do that. What person is God t- challenging you to bring a, a part of your gifting to them, to bless them? Because again, that has a lot to do with why we gather here on the first day of the week. It's not just to hear from Pastor Mike and to sing songs. It has to do with building each other up. Because we have a mission out there. We have a job to do out there. I'm going to get to that here in a minute too. So when I first began to pray about this series, wanting to actually highlight the definitions between be- behind the Hebraic terms of praise and worship, yada and Shaka, God willing, I was going to share my knowledge of the hymns, of the areas we exemplify worship in spirit and in truth as a congregation, as well as individually and collectively, and then also maybe areas we are a little confused, or areas that we may need improvement, or maybe we need to challenge ourselves. I thought that's fine. I like challenge. I'm a challenging guy. So I thought that was a good idea. So I began to do a lot of research, and uh, one thing, I, my main question in all my notes as I prepared this sermon series was, well, what does a pastor talk about during Praise and Worship sermon series? What am I supposed to talk about? And I'll tell you what. It seems that far too many have no idea what we should be saying about Praise and Worship. Far too many Christians have no idea about the power behind Praise and Worship. Unfortunately, it seems that what we've done is we've taken the, the truth and the significance of Praise and Worship we've kind of just summed it all up as a love for music, right? That's worship, music. Everybody I talk to, most Christians, what do you think of worship? They'll say, oh, I like Hillsong. I said, what? I didn't ask you about a group. I asked you about worship. And I have to say, this week, I studied through some websites, right? I did a lot of research on the internet. I read some sermons, some magazines, study resources, and I must admit, I'm very dismayed at the contemporary confusion and the seemingly man-glorifying nature of what a lot of Christians are calling praise and worship, sermon series tend to be nothing more than over sentimentalism, right? Just a bunch of fluffy emotionalism, some songs that'll make you cry, focused on worship, popular popular worship songs, as well as groups and certain singers. That's what worship series are. Again, I, I could actually I'm not going to mention any, but I can literally look up right now on the internet some worship series to bless you all with, and all it is is boasting about the new worship group. That's what we're calling teaching the people of God about praise and worship is a new worship group, a series on a worship group. So I've shared some of those links with you. Now I'm going to burden you. So you have the links in your bulletin. You could go and you could look for yourself. Look at what people are saying about praise and worship in in those regards. Uh, I'll tell you this there's some really good stuff at some of those sites. I I don't want to speak bad about all of it, some really great stuff. But then there's a lot of religious junk. Again, I sat there as a young man that used to be a gang member, and I wondered about my friends reading these sites, trying to figure out what praise and worship is, because Pastor Mike said, that's the epitome of a Christian life. And I said, I'm directing them to websites, and they're not going to know what's going on. They're going to say, so the Christians like to sing. That's great. That's what worship is for a lot of people. That's a problem. If praise and worship, as I said two weeks ago, is our offensive weapon... Then you hear so many Christians saying that we're not winning the battle. Do you you begin to get the picture? We don't even know how to use our weapons. We think our weapons are singing. Honestly, I was going to order a DVD based curriculum to bring us through this series to look at praise and worship. However, as I looked into it, I did my own studying in the scriptures and the history of worship in the church, and I took into consideration the maturity of our congregation, the needs of our congregation. I felt that we are way too strong in the faith for me to start putting up a five-week video series for us to uh, look at how to love God with our mind and a bunch of 45 minutes of worship songs. And then how to worship God with your soul, 45 minutes of worship songs. I-, I would love to just sum that up for you, how to love God with your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Again, there's some great people that have said so much in that regard. Love God with all your mind. How are you thinking about God? Are you spending time thinking about God? Love God with all your all your Mind, heart, to all your passion. Are you passionate about God? Are you loving him with all of your fiber of your being, your soul, everything that you have, your strength, your energy? Is it devoted to worshiping God? I don't need a 45-minute introduction for one of those sentences and then a bunch of songs. And to me, that depresses me that that's the state of the Christian church many times. God desires worshipers in spirit and in truth. The Scriptures are clear in that regard. Far too many Christians are confused in these regards because of what we might call deeply rooted religious jargon. I like that. Deeply rooted religious jargon. And what that is is, again, um, a lot of the religious words that we tack on, instead of just simply explaining to people what praise and worship is, all too often we tack on a bunch of religious stuff to it, and you know, and then people start to think all sorts of things about the Christian church. They think, okay, so I have to like singing hymns to be a Christian? Because that's what I get from a lot of the worship series that I'm seeing. I, I have to like Hillsong, if, or contemporary worship music, or for some Christians, I cannot like contemporary worship music. Or maybe I'm not supposed to like instruments, musical instruments, right? Because you know some of our brethren are a bit confused in that area. Like, you know, worship—you have instruments, you're worship Oh man. That's not a church. That's what we're focused on. That's that's literally the contemporary religious conversation in regards to praise and worship. That's a problem. But then you have the flip side. You have the flip side, which is like a nominal sentimentalism, right? Just the um, nominal, again, being existing only in name, right? A sentimentalism. You gather in the church. You ever go to these churches where people are just all in, in awe of God? They're crying, their tears falling down their face. They're just so caught up in God. And then you see them on Monday, and they're stressed out. I said, like, What happened? You guys looked like you were on fire for God. Because we do. We have a nominal sentimentalism. We, we create this, like, this fake image of what it's supposed to be, this fake joy for God. I don't want a fake joy for God. I don't want to cry because that's what holy people do. That's not what I'm doing. I, I want to literally have a true worship of God, that I truly feel him in my life. I truly see him and know him in, in all the things that I'm, I'm doing. We can't have that. We can't have that over-emotional type of stuff. I also used to be a part of a concept called ancient future worship. And what they sought to do was create a balance. What it was is you would appreciate the ancient and past things that have been brought forth to edify the church in praise and worship, and then you'd also look to the future and say, are these ancient things edifying future generations? How can we use these ancient things to edify future generations? Can we modify them, dare I say, reform them? And can we do those things? Can we challenge the church to grow in regards to helping future generations understand what it means to praise and worship God. And I like that. I thought it was a a good opportunity to challenge ourselves to look at some of the ancient things. And maybe we should be doing that here. I think every church should be doing that. It's looking at ancient things and looking at future things. Never forsaking one or the other. Holding on to the the, the things from the past. Appreciating the value. Seeing the things that are there. Again, we talk about the hymns, right? We we have all these hymns in our book. These are ancient hymns. A lot of them are, are rather older hymns. There's so much beauty behind them. If we just get to know the story, and then, of course, hear them sing. So, again, there's so much that we could say in regards to our growing in praise and worship. I can honestly say it has been pastoring our church, experiencing the power of the word, honest discussions, authentic learning, and not so much a singing church. We're not a singing church. Thank you, Meredith. You make us a singing church. But, you know, again, we're not a singing church. And it's with that that I've been able to get to the heart of the matter. It's because we're not a singing church. It's because we're more of a reformed, relaxed crowd where we really just want to dig into the deep truths of the Word of God that I've been able to get a better picture of what the heart of the matter is regarding worship, prayer and worship. You do know I come from a Pentecostal background, right? You know, I I come from those churches where I was singing and jumping and dancing like David did. So, you know, again, I've been blessed being here. I've been blessed by our, our, our rational approach to understanding God and his word. I've also been blessed by the supernatural, completely irrational approach to understanding God in through my life. But, you know, again, I pray that each and every one of you will begin to challenge yourselves in regards to this praise and worship that we have. What this stuff means. What is all of this supposed to be? What is it? What are we talking about when we say praise and worship? We're not talking about singing. Hopefully we all cleared that up, right? We are not talking about singing. So thinking back to a discussion we had last week in Sunday school, we talked about how and why God created man. Ultimately demonstrating that God has a desirous need, a desirous need, not a necessity, but a desirous need for man. Right? God wants the world to know his truth. He's allowed man to be, that, he, to be that need. Right? God needs us because he needs the message to get out there. But it's a desire. It's not, you know, we we talked a little bit about that in Sunday school, that it's a desirous need. That's what I'm calling it. Because it's not necessarily what we would call a necessity. You start to say necessity and people start to say, well, so God needs people? The sovereign God needs humans. You know, and and then the the conversation gets a bit tricky. So he, he has a desirous need, not necessarily a necessity, in the fullest extent of the word, to have people who would worship him in spirit and in truth. A common attack many atheists like to use in this regard is they'll say, Well, he demands our worship. That makes him sound like a brutal tyrant with a selfish need to see himself glorified. Right? You know, I'm in charge. You must worship me. That's kind of the, the picture most people get, at least the atheist crowd loves to kind of characterize God in that type of a picture. Well, John Piper, as I mentioned before, I heard an amazing explanation of why God wants us to worship him from John Piper. And I wanted to share that with you. He said this, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase it. He said, the only incentive that atheists can conceive as to why God would want us to praise him is that he is needy. We are needy when we want people to praise us. Amen. But what is it with God? Believers stumble over this point. What if admiration is the highest pleasure? What if the true highest pleasure of life is admiration? And what if God is the most admirable being? Would not his beckoning us, his summoning us, his dying for us, his challenging us to worship him, to admire him, would that not be called love instead of arrogance? Because it's the highest pleasure. Admiration is one of the deepest longings of the human heart not self-admiration, again, which is something that we need to readily crucify, continually crucify, uh, you know, that, that natural desire to worship humans and ourselves, but instead to allow our heart to be drawn out to worship something selfless, something completely beyond us, something magnificent, something that has our best interest at heart. How loving does that make God? God says, admire me if you want to be satisfied. That doesn't sound like a guy, a tyrant screaming at people to worship him. One of my favorite teachings that is often highlighted by John Piper is called Christian Hedonism. Hedonism is the term for the pursuit of pleasure. Right? So here we would say that the pursuit of the highest pleasure is found in him through Jesus Christ. Right? Eternal life is found in him, eternally fulfilling and satisfying life. So my hedonism, yeah, I tell people that all the time, I say, yeah, I am a hedonist. You know, I'm familiar with the Satanic Bible and Anton LaVey and a lot of those nonsense teachings there. So, again, which is very basically human heat, carnalistic hedonism, which, you know, again, do whatever you want. Just, just go, you know. What is your carnal desires? Go and achieve it. You know, Eve, right? Pretty much Eve in the Garden of Eden. Go for it, you know. So we know that our battle is not to do that, but our battle is to see Christ as the ultimate satisfaction, to, to grow in that reality. If you don't feel that way this morning, well, keep coming. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we gather, to remind ourselves. That, that is the true ultimate satisfaction. Christ. We are not supposed to be burdened as Christians. We're not supposed to be a people that are burdened to some... or slaves to a religious system. That's not what we're doing here. We are free to express ourselves. We are free to love. Dare I say we are free to live. We're free to do those things. This is important because just as natural as your desire is to want the best, you know, to live your life, to enjoy the fruits of your labor, to enjoy the moment, the experience so is your natural desire to worship. You see, just as much as you want the best for yourself, you also have a natural desire to worship. Unfortunately, as John Calvin said, the human heart is a manufacturer of idols. So all too often, our worship is not geared toward God. It's geared toward the idols, most of the time ourselves, our own truth. I hope most of you would agree with me there, that the human heart, I hope I'm not fighting a battle on my own, um, that the human heart is a manufacturer of idols, because I do see that in my life. I do see the, the, the strongholds constantly popping up, try, vying for my attention, trying to pull me away. In that same vein, John Calvin said, there's nothing more perilous to our salvation than a preposterous and perverse worship of God. We have to have this right. That's why we're talking about this. We have to get this right. We have to maximize our opportunity here. We have to know why we're seeking Christ, not to be burdened by a religious system, but instead to pursue the ultimate pleasure, to worship him because he is the ultimate pleasure. Another author, Harold Best, author of Unceasing Worship, he said, at this very moment, and as, for as long as the world endures, everybody inhabiting the world is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. So I ask you this morning, challenge yourself. What are you bowing down to? What are you serving? Is it natural? Is it made up by you? Is it made up by other men? Or is it spiritual? The term spiritual actually means to be elevated above the mere thoughts of man. You might want to write that down. Spiritual, to be elevated above the mere thoughts of man. We're actually going to do a series next year in 2017 called Let's Get Spiritual. And we're going to talk about some of the spiritual applications and truths that we see in Scripture and how, in contrast to the natural way, there's a spiritual way. And that's what we're seeking. We're, we're supposed to be a spiritual people. God is in this place this morning. We said that. We all said that we believe that, right? This is not time to be as religious as we can be when we gather on Sunday mornings. It's not time to focus on what we think is important that we had to tell our friend when we saw them at church. This is not the place where we gather to offer trite, sentimental praises to God. That's not what this is. Rather, this is a place where we allow God to renew us. We allow him to be that which we are in awe of. And if we find a problem that we're not in awe of him, this is a place where we allow him to give us that crouching moment where we are in fear of him, and we do begin to stand in awe of him. And this is also where we point to him and we throw out that reward that he has given us, back to him. Give it back to him. So John Calvin, as I already mentioned, he said this, let us know and be fully persuaded that whenever the faithful who worship him purely and in due form according to the appointment of his word are assembled together to engage in the solemn acts of worship, he is graciously present and presides in the midst of them. Glory to God. He's here. He is here. So I want us to be encouraged, saints. There's a lot of things we don't see going on in the world. Dare I say there's a lot of things God doesn't see in the world that he likes. I think we could all agree there, right? We look out there and we say, there's some things out there that I don't like. And I would say that there's some things out there God doesn't like. Well, the solution doesn't come from out there. We can look all day. You're never going to see it come from out there. It has to come from here. It has to come from the saints gathering on the first day of the week to be a people that are saying, I'm going to go on mission out there to help it look like what God wants it to look like out there. It's when saints gather in his presence ready to live out our praise and our worship. Amen? Amen. So I want to challenge us this morning with taking a serious inventory of our praise and our worship. How did you do this week with what you thought in regards, what you threw out there in regards to the words that you said to people? You know, what were some of the things that you threw out there um, in influencing other people's day? What are you pointing to in your life? What, if people are looking at you, what are they saying that you're pointing to? What do your words seem to point to? In what ways are you in awe of God? Do you need to be put more in awe of God? Maybe consider, where do you need to grow in those areas? Have your thoughts been set on him this morning? Are you thinking through Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, setting your, uh, your mind on the things that are peaceable, the things that are loving, the things that are edifying? Have we come together to benefit one another? Because that's our job as we gather here. Have we come together to be in awe of him, to praise him, to throw it back to him? Do you feel equipped? Did you receive what you needed to this morning? Begin to pray about that. Think about that, because again, this is God's time. I'm just the vessel that gets to talk this morning, but it's about God speaking to you. I've heard many times that one of the best ways for me to find out what I need to be doing out there is for me to become burdened first. So I challenge you this morning: What are the things in the world that burden you? What are the things when you look out to the world and you think of your friends and your family? What are the things that burden you? What the, what needs to be changed? And I challenge you this morning, because one of the things that inspires me is people that get the job done. People that say, I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do. So I challenge you this morning, become my inspiration. Let's do this together. Let's fix the world. Let's heal the nations. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can be built up and edified in you, Lord. Send us out as your people. Build us up to be a people of worship and praise, Lord, that we would point to you, that we would throw out praise to you, Lord, we would be so, that, that would come from our awe and our fear of you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have given us. Equip us for the battle, Lord. Lead us forward to heal the nations. In Jesus' name we pray.